Welcome to Beyond the Rainbow on CHUO 89.1 FM. On Wednesdays from 12 to 1 p.m., tune in to our spoken word programs. Beyond the Rainbow holds conversations surrounding various LGBTQ topics to unpack and learn more from the community. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first edition of Beyond the Rainbow on CHUO 89.1 FM. I'm Jamisha Millard, and today we'll be focusing on the protection of LGBTQ rights in Africa. In Africa, laws have been applied to criminalize same-sex relationships, behaviors, and expressions. These laws stipulate penalties for same-sex relationships, ranging from 10 years to life imprisonment and the death penalty. Countries including Uganda, Nigeria, and Togo have passed these kinds of punitive laws. We'll be discussing the different laws that African countries hold towards or against the LGBTQ community, how this affects African citizens abroad and around us, and what work needs to be done. Our special guests in the studio are Lucille Giwa, a multidisciplinary artist, tattoo apprentice, and communications international student from Nigeria, with pronouns being they, she, alongside Zam Anwa, a non-binary queer artist also from Nigerian descent, and an inspiring therapist with pronouns being they, them. Hello, we have Lucille and Zam in the studio. How are you guys doing today? Hi, we're doing good. I'm doing good. Are you doing good? (laughs) Amazing. Perfect. So um, today, my first question, the questions are a little tough today, but I'm just going to go right in. So there's no enacted legislation protecting against discrimination or harassment based on sexual orientation or gender identity. And none of the political parties in Nigeria has formally endorsed LGBT rights. So according to you, what are some laws or legislations that the Nigerian government can put in place that would be helpful for the LGBTQ community? Um, I would first start by striking down the laws that they already have in place, you know, to that criminalize, like being queer and queerness and striking down like further bills that are like now being put in place to criminalize um, queerness. I think also when it comes to Nigeria, it's very it's a very restrictive, rigid environment where even for women that are seen as a valid identity, and I'm putting in air quotes because you know, women that still not have don't have their rights, um, gender equality isn't even a thing right now. And mm-hmm. so when you're looking at situations like that, it's like there needs to be laws that are put in place that protect gender identities across the board. There was a bill that was being passed to the, the SSMPA. No, not even that one. Um, the bill that was for gender equality that was shot down at its oh. second reading. It didn't even get passed to like its third reading. So it's when you talk about situations like that, you know, it's very grassroots level things. Like if you don't even see, you know, women as people deserving of rights, you know, it's harder to now explain to people that. Oh, and also there are people that are not women and not men, too, that deserve it. You know, it's kind of there's a lot to be done at the fundamental level, I would say, culturally. And it goes into law from there. The lawmakers could make like anti-discrimination acts to counter things like um, the SSMPA and things like that as well, because there's only so much someone can do like outside the law when the law thinks you shouldn't exist. 
<clears throat> so my next question is kind of like a question that I had for myself. I wanted to know, like, is it true that the laws enforcing these penalties often only apply to like male to male? Well, as opposed to like lesbian. Mm-hmm. I think um, culturally, when you look at um, male to male um, relationships, it is criminalized more because men are actually seen as people with standing and status. Women are objectified at the end of the day. And so it's most relationships like that are like women or non-men. Um, they tend to not be taken seriously. And so like a lot of people, you know, are, they take it as lighter, but not to say that we are not still criminalized for, you know, being queer in the way that we're queer. Um, so I feel like Sam has some stuff to add to that. Yeah, I'd say their homophobia is rooted in things like colonialism and the patriarchy. So in turn, it's also rooted in toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. So I, I would agree that um, MLM relationships and interactions are more um, taken to a deeper degree because it's it's seen as like taboo as and very emasculating as well for a man to leave the comforts quotation obviously the comfort of a woman and go and try to please a man so it's a very it's it's mostly a thing of pride I don't know how to describe it as but it's just intolerance basically because especially as a cishet man it's like what would make you leave a woman to go and start chasing a man as well true Exactly. It's tampers with um, the idea of maleness and the hierarchy or the pyramid it's been put on. Because when you are a man that's interested in a man, you now mess with these systems of power. It now begs the question, makes people question, oh, so like, do I don't have to be with a woman? You know, and also like with the idea of procreation and you know reproduction it's like okay a man is the one that's supposed to carry the name and carry our future and exactly so when you live in a system that is so fixed like i feel like here you even find more situations where people are um more where like women and non-men take active roles in power you know like it's you find that more here more dynamic exactly but there it's very um i'm not saying like you know like women don't take positions of power but then you know the hurdles that take that you that are put in place for like non-men are so much more and because it's culturally infused into system religiously infused into the system so when it now comes to a situation of like oh a man that's meant to be seen in this place of power it's tampers too much with what they believe so i feel like definitely i think there is more of a focus and more of a spotlight on like mlm relationships Yeah. yeah i feel like that's also something like it's not just in Africa. I feel like it's also like a worldwide thing. Like they, mm-hmm. like here in Canada, they don't take like lesbian relationships seriously. Yeah. You yeah. Know? It's always like, seen as like play. Yeah, exactly. Even, exactly. As I've noticed in like the queer scene in, well, what I know of the queer scene in Nigeria, it's mostly like, for example, if there's a cishet man dating um, a non-man that is anything but straight, it's like, oh, he's fine with her. Or them being with other 
non-men because it's like oh it's not it's that serious n- it's not that serious it's just, if it was a man playing. could take them away from me but it's not they don't see those relationships as relationships of like substance yeah i completely agree i feel like even uh look at netflix canceling every like lesbian <laughs> show <laughs> Yo, really i didn't hear about that oh my gosh um netflix has this thing right um where like they cancel almost every wlw show after the first season like yeah oh, and there's some really so good bad. shows too, it's so, so bad actually what? it's heartbreaking yeah. i'm not going to lie but then uh a lot of shows with like mlm relationships you know get pushed for second season so like i think it's on one end like you know like it all is the patriarchy at the end of the day because on one end now like this situation that we're talking about with netflix you know mlm relationships are validated as real relationships and it's like okay yes this is the queer word we're down for right Mm -hmm. but then on the flip side is where ml like it now appears like lesbians have more protection because of the fact that they're objectified and MLMs have like more spotlights on them that villainizes them more and criminalizes them more. So it's now a situation whereby like with like lesbian relationships, the only thing that protects us is that we're objects, which is not protection at all, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, but is definitely. Is MLM male to male? Yeah. yeah, yeah, men that love men. Okay, okay, okay. So um, next up in May... So police arrested 21 people attending a human rights workshop in Ho City in the Volta region of Ghana. So it seems like to me that police around the continent are arresting and terrorizing not only the people of the LGBTQ community, but also human rights activists. So what's your stance on that? 100%. It is a big thing that is going on right now. I'm not even going to lie because the the power, it's... It's all about who's in power. And at the end of the day, you can't have people on top without having people pressed at the bottom, you know? So like human rights begs the question, like it fights with this really sensitive system that they're trying to create where like, you know, we have everybody working in this dynamic. So like the idea of like someone coming to say that, you know, you know, queer people, like they deserve rights. Or like even like, I would say like this even kind of traverses the idea of queerness and even just generally people that are different, you know, like for example, with like NSARS, like what's happening with the NSARS movement. I don't know if you ever heard about that Mm -mm. Um, against police brutality in Nigeria. Um, That's the special armory force. There was a whole protest that happened. It's, I'll go into it, but I don't need to go too deep into it because it was very tragic, but these people, like essentially police officers, were targeting people on the basis of having tattoos, on the basis of having locks, yeah. on the basis of having a laptop, driving a being a young person that drives a nice car. They will say you are a scammer, you do fraud, internet fraud, and on the basis of that, they can arrest you. So now complicating it and like looking through like an intersectional lens when you are queer and you present as feminine or masculine, anything outside like your prescribed norm. Exactly. It's not only easy for you to be a target, but it's justified by society. Exactly. So as a human rights activist, you know, as someone that is, you know, protesting against these things, Mm -hmm. you are also, it's, you are fighting the privilege that has been put like that has been the you're fighting the system so it's too much for them yeah 
because even with the whole NSARS protests, because I went to a couple of them, but once uh, people, because it was basically protesting being profiled and immediately people started protesting, oh, like uh, queer people have, queer Nigerians have rights and women have rights. The, the protesters were started getting a bit agitated, saying that's not why we're here and blah, 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 blah. And it really just shows that if it was only queer people being targeted, that it wouldn't have been as big of a deal. But because the main target was like young men, the young men of the nation Definitely. was like the biggest thing. And it's with regards to the activism, I think minorities trying to challenge power and saying, yeah, we do have rights. It's always seen as rebelling against the nation for some reason. And because we activists are trying to spread information about certain issues and educate the public, it's because information is power at the end of the day. So I think that they're just trying to silence them so they can keep the power they have. Mm. I completely agree. I completely agree. I feel like one thing about, um, especially like, with Ghana in um, particular, there's a new bill that they're trying to introduce, like an anti-LGBTQ bill that even it literally criminalizes being intersex. So even being born the way you are is a crime. Exactly. So these things, like anything that like stands to like even pose like the slightest bit of a threat is so it's so momentous so at the end of the day like you do find activists being killed you do find activists being kidnapped tortured silenced by the military it's a big it's actually a very big deal right now yeah and not just right now because it goes back as far as uh the beginning of nigeria definitely for example, we were taught there's this woman, Fumilayo Ransom Kuti. Yeah. We were taught she was the only thing we knew we were taught about her growing up was that she was the first woman to drive a car in Nigeria. But she was also a very avid activist that fought Powerful. for a lot of her rights and fought against like a lot of like colonial systems and actually died for the cause as well. But it was erased from history because of that. Exactly. Um I don't know if you know Felakuti. Not too familiar. Okay, no. he's um he's known as one of the founding fathers of Afrobeat. Okay, nice. Yeah, so that's Sick. his mom essentially, okay. and I what's what he's now known, what she is now known for is being Fela's mom yeah. and driving car, and wow. essentially like she, oh my gosh, there's a uh, this story about how she single she with a bunch of women in the group she they could they overthrew a government yeah and like it was so crazy like they overthrew a king that wasn't like giving them the rights that they deserved and mm-hmm. like essentially i think uh the story that we were told was that you are not allowed to like look at a mother's nakedness or something like that and so like it, she rallied up her women and like they all like took off their clothes like right <laughs> oh my god honestly yeah like i that's what i heard i need to confirm that make sure it was true but then essentially like overthrowing the system of power by protest mm-hmm. you know and she at the end of the day she ended up being killed by nigerian government wow. very unfortunate but it's so unfortunate that like all that all the work she's done in her life has reduced been reduced to, to a car, car. 
Okay, so next, um, an argument which was proven to be false, frequently used in support of discriminatory legislative and other measures targeting LGBTQ persons, is that non-conforming sexual orientations and gender identities were brought to Africa by Western colonizers and are contrary to the African values. So what do you guys think about that? This thing is so funny. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Every time I hear this thing, like, I'm just exactly. like, don't kill me, guys. The gays are everywhere. You can't, literally. like, literally, like, literally, I think it's absolutely hilarious. You know, at the end of the day, I will not speak for every African society because um, Africa tends to be homogenized a lot. But many African cultures had language used to describe queer identities and these languages did not have carry value judgments the same way that like the same way that you know like the f word would you know and you know the word i'm talking about exactly (laughs) so like these are just like descriptors rather like rather than like you know value judgment you know we have histories like even like Igbo culture because like zam and i i'm partly Igbo, but zam is like fully Igbo. like um in Igbo culture there there were like understandings of like female husbands Mm. right where like it would be a man but like a man that's like more femme and you know like do you have understandings even like in like the um Hausa language, the word like Yandawudu, it's like used to describe like a man that is effeminate. Okay. You know, and like these are things that were in our languages, but then through not only like colonialism, but like just imperialism as a general. So like violence, violent versions of Christianity and Islam being brought to the country that eradicated, you know, the idea and tolerance for like gender non-conforming individuals or like um people that don't conform to like man woman <laughs> sexuality exactly mm-hmm. like so there were very much situations where like um, missionaries would come in and say this is barbaric you know and meanwhile people are just chilling like you know and yeah. it's 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 a very similar story that I've also heard coming here to Canada with like different indigenous peoples being take stripped away of their queerness because of colonialism. You know, it's a very similar story. And it's what breaks my heart is the fact that like a lot of Nigerians will re- like, they will regurgitate this thing that they, they don't know where they're coming from. You know, like it's like colonialism is so vile. And because at the end of the day, it, it what it means to not know your past, like be severed from your ancestry. Many people don't know that queerness was Nigerian and they're not willing to know because now generations have passed. You know, like even like my mom is very, very Christian, very like she doesn't play with all that queerness stuff. Like she's uh, she's more chill than I would say most African parents are. But like if I sit down and tell her that, yo, you know, like, you know, like people were gay, like, you know, <laughs> You'd be like, uh, that's some white stuff, you know, like, you know, the white man, it's especially because like now in Western cultures now, like it's a lot more like pride, you know, like this kind of thing. And like you can see people like actively like waving flags. But like it's crazy because, you know, like the West brought, you know, homophobia to many African culture cultures like during um, colonialism. And now it seems that they've progressed and we're still there. And that is like absolutely heartbreaking. And now we have to start convincing people, no, listen to this. But then with people not even being willing to 
like understand it's also a thing of some people don't have the capacity to because when the west brought things like christianity and they had stripped us from everything else all we had left to hold on to was this idea of god and i'd recently gone into like african spirituality and so in my language the language i like in my language Igbo, it's so the gods we have different gods and a lot of the gods even had were what we now know as like non-binary so a lot of them would have feminine and masculine features a lot of them weren't even referred to as male or female and gods like chi and chuku who are like could be are very distinct have were now merged into this one god it's like saying zeus and hades are one in the same even though they serve very different purposes in it and even with regards to non-conforming genders it's like with the language for example in Igbo, i don't know the most pop like a popular word for a daughter or a son it's we just refer to them as like a child so we use very descriptive terms like we say exactly what someone is to you like I don't I wouldn't say my brother I'll say my mother's child oh okay yeah so with things like that it's it doesn't make sense that gender was like the whole concept of gender was brought here well it was brought here because we I don't think there, there was a proper understanding of gender in that sense like the gender binary more like so I feel like that uh, the West brought things like that, then left us to our own wits with it when we had we knew nothing of the gender binary mm-hmm. and left us with it. And they were allowed, or they had the room mm-hmm. to grow and grow past that and grow to like pride. And exactly. Like and we weren't afforded we're left the same behind. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Um, I remember my first pride in Toronto this year and it was your I, first time going this year yes Whoa, yes because uh the panorama the oh pandemic. the panorama <laughs> yes yes it's the panini bro yo like for real the pentagon but like yo like um so first time i went for pride and you know um i think prior to then i was still really coming into like my career now, so i wasn't really comfy but um <laughs> this time i went and i remember feeling so overwhelmed really like i thought that like it would go i would go there and like you know feel so free and like like yeah like you know (laughs) get a free mom hug and you know like but i remember feeling so overwhelmed really like it it felt like so much deconstruction at once because i've never it's something that i've never been raised to think is okay like being myself is never something that like I've been raised to think is okay. Like it's in Canada that like I came to understanding like my queerness and like what that looks like to me, you know? And it's because I had that space. It was like a very like also like um white scene as well. So like it was also, it felt very estranged almost like yes like we're all queer but, but like you feel like you still don't still belong exactly yeah. there's still like a level <clears throat> of and toronto is wild so maybe that's also it too and it made me think a lot about how like how unfortunate it is for people that don't have this opportunity to wave their flags and be who they are you know like we were able to come here for school and that's kind of like our big break but <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the people that can't afford to and don't want to honestly yeah. you know like people should be able your biggest dream should not be your biggest dream for your country should not be how to leave the country yeah if fact. you know yeah, like that especially for people that love like for me like i love my country and but it's also like a very 
sad thing that you have to almost flee your country to be your undiluted self. Homophobia can turn into discrimination and violence, as we all know. Denial of health care, exclusion from school or work, lynching, rapes and killings have been documented. Uh, being a member of the LGBTQ community, do you or anyone you know like ever experienced some sort of bad treatment like that, like back home? And what was the outcome? I'd say it's actually a very sad reality that it's not unheard of. Like I wasn't even really phased when I heard like lynchings and I was like, yeah, like it's something that happens. And as someone that is, well, I, I consider myself as rather mask presenting. So, well, it's, I'm very obviously queer, right? So there was a time last year I had gone, I was going to the mall with my friends and it was about like a six minute Uber ride or something. But we were also on the mainland we were in a less safe part of the city and but it was also less safe in the sense that nothing is going to happen like it's daytime but we passed a military checkpoint and what had happened was that the military the military officer like gestured to us like park well like get off the road and I was like oh wow like this uber driver I hope like they don't find anything on him because that'll be tragic I was with my brother and two of my friends who were girls and underage as well. They were 17 and they had searched all of us or none of us really had bags except me. And I had a pocket knife that I used to open boxes, but they (laughs) found it and they were like, oh, no, you've killed 60 people with this. Like, I kid you not. They said 60 and I was so confused because there was no blood on the knife. But essentially, these people held me at gunpoint and told me, go into this car like we're taking to a station and everyone was frantic like eventually we paid them off because that's all they're really looking for but things like being targeted just because you don't dress how they think you should dress or you don't talk a certain way and I'm and I'm just imagining what would have happened if I was a feminine presenting man in that situation Uh because I don't think I would have left to be very honest so you paid them off yeah wow yeah, they heard I would go to school in Canada and they start asking for an insane amount of money that honestly nobody has because the economy is so bad. Yeah. It's so awful. And it's like everyone is just so frustrated that everyone is trying to frustrate someone else. Yeah, but it's, lots of projection. Yeah, but it's so malicious because what was that? Yeah. Was I'm that? so sorry that happened Thank to you. Thank you so much. It's one of these things that, like, there is, like, the overt violence like that. And there's also, like, just little things that were denied at the end of the day, you know? Like, being able to, like, have your family validate who you're with, you know? Like, the the basic things. So many people, like, so many GoFundMes are being circulated around because people are just sick and tired of pretending. And their parents are kicking them out. It's a thing of, like, you know you've chosen this lifestyle and you've it's not in you and just um I went for my sister's wedding last year and it was a very grand affair like Nigerian weddings they don't play like do you get what I mean like they they are do you get what I mean like they're like the valid like you know how like things that can be very conservative sometimes so like it's like a state validated day to just party like do you get what I mean so people love going to weddings it's so like excessive drinking excessive drinking (laughs) (laughs) people love going to like weddings like it's so part of our culture it's a very big and important part of our culture and 
and you know being there and like you know celebrating and feeling like I had to celebrate like it was my wedding because only God knows if anyone's going to come for my wedding you know and being able to like validate that you know like I might not have this same like pride even if like you know like my family like accepts me you know, acceptance and celebration are two different things. Like acceptance is literally the barest minimum. And honestly, I'm not going to lie. I'm not sure I can even get that. Exactly. Talk less of even understanding. Exactly. For them to accept you. Because it is, it is, for me, for someone that is queer and non-binary, it was a massive thing to hear for the first time. Like, what do you mean there's more than a man and a woman? And what do you mean that a woman can love another woman? And what do you mean a non-binary person exists? Exactly. I was like, what is so that? It, and it took so much, so much, so long for me to learn that. But I, I could only do that because I put the active effort in because I was forced to, because it's who I am mm-hmm. at the end of the day. But when you when it's not a part of your identity, mm-hmm. it's like something you do in your spare time if you get to it. And a lot of people never really get to it as mm-hmm. well. Facts. Yeah. With regards to like violence, like it's that thing, you know, about it being culturally allowed, you know, because, for example, if like Zam posted about that experience, you know, they might not get the same um, support as, you know, a cishet man that was like, yo, these guys just stopped me and said I was going to kill 60 people. Like, you know, they would not have gotten that same amount of support and, you know, um. I guess, like, just support in general and backing mm-hmm. from the people. Because, honestly, that Queer Lives Matter, like, um, situation at the NSARS protest, mm-hmm. it really did break my heart because um, my best friend was there when, um, so essentially, like, that a whole altercation happened. So it was, like, on, let's say, like, the sixth day of protests. It was, like, on one of the, like, it was after the first couple of days, Right. And um, essentially, like, you know, queer people had to protest specifically for them because, first of all, no one's going to do it for us. Second of all, like, we are targeted and it is valid as far as they're concerned. So it's like our our fight is something very, like, it's very intersectional. But, you know, a guy in the middle of, um, in the middle of the protest starts fighting one of the queer protesters and they rip up her signs and they chase them home. Like literally saying that this is not the fight that they're here for, you know, that it's not, that this like is not what is important. they were protesting as well? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Like the what? protesters turned on them and it was a, it was a mess. And like my friend, like, you know, they were like, you know, like Loki, so they weren't really in, they saw what happened, but like, you know, like, what could they really do? And right. it's like, that's the thing. Like it all comes, we can say laws, laws, laws as much as we want, but it all comes down to the hearts of the people. True. You know, if people are, you know, like if people are not going to lead with kindness and empathy, then, you know, there's only so much. A government is made out of the people at the end of the day. Facts. It's a whole reform. It, it's a, a whole reform needs to be done. Like a whole, people need to start like, really really being kind and it all comes from like the whole system it trickles down because like honestly like it's like what zam says like you can only grow so much if you have the time nigerians are like suffering everybody's hustling everyone's trying to you know survive everyone nobody like realistically it's like it appears that no one has time to be deconstructing these things. When you they know, have other things like school fees. Exactly, and like exactly. And kids. that's a privilege they have. 
you know, but for some of us, it's not a privilege. Like we need everybody to be, to work towards being on the same page about human beings deserving rights. But, um, I remember like when you said when every, like everybody just needs to be kind. It kind of reminded me of that song I found on TikTok. It's nice to be nice. Yeah, it's, it's nice, nice to, to be, be nice. nice. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> It's to look be LGBTQ. Bro, I, I actually, like, I have been supporting that artist for such a long time. I'm so yeah. happy for them. Because yeah. she, she's a trans woman in Ghana. Really? Yeah, Ghana, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Angel. And, yeah, and then she's, like, singing about it. And the song makes so much sense. It makes so much sense. anybody could be LGBTQ. Literally. It's real. nice to be nice. It's yeah. nice to be nice. Like, exactly. it's quite does literally. It, does it make you smile? Are you happy? Exactly. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay, so um, according to the Brussels Times, the Belgian federal government in Belgium uh, launched an action plan with 133 concrete actions that aim to make the country more LGBTQ friendly. Uh, the plan, which consists of the 133 concrete actions to be taken by 10 federal ministers and state secretaries, aims to increase safety and maximize inclusiveness. South Africa is also currently the only country in Africa where LGBTQ persons have protective laws and rights. So, like, according to you guys, are African countries like such as Nigeria and Uganda open to other countries' suggestions? Serious? Hmm. Um, well, I don't, I honestly, with Nigeria in its current state, I think it's not what it needs to be. It's a matter of like pressure, you know, okay. like international pressure is very important right now. We're in the midst of preparing for an election. Mm -hmm. So um, this president right now, like, uh, and not it, um, <laughs> it's not giving to say the least. <laughs> Um, definitely very um, violent strategies and very like lack of concern for humanity. This next election, though, seems to have some promise. Hashtag P2B. I'm dead not to campaign, but like the candidate that's running seems to be more open to suggestions. So it really just depends on that. But then we can say that and like, you know, politicians do what politicians do and they switch up at the last oh, minute. Very true. So I feel like right now the best thing like is pressure, like international pressure, okay. like the spotlight, like that thing that happened um, during the NSARS protest, exactly. right? Where like there had to be a spotlight, like because they knew yeah. that the world was watching them, they couldn't do the amount of heinous things they would have done. Exactly. Because the day after, the day, it's called Black Tuesday in Nigeria. Because yeah. okay. that's the day the government, that's the day Nigeria killed her own people. And the government opened fire on all the protesters. So the day after, the police department came out and said, no, it wasn't like the government. It wasn't like our tanks. It wasn't anything. But people had recorded it on Instagram live like it was exactly live. it was on CNN so Nigeria has a very big history of erasing their past right mm -hmm. and so with things like people constantly talking about it everyone saying like no we actually saw you do this thing mm -hmm. it's a lot harder to because before it's my word against yours mm -hmm. and you can't really go against the whole government exactly, exactly. yeah but now the whole world yeah watches. exactly if I'm a very firm believer that if CNN hadn't covered it, that that day would have been a lot worse. And the following days after mm, as yeah, well. Yeah, definitely. He, um, after that happened, he came on uh, the 
radio and essentially threatened us not to go back and like protest with regards to like the black tuesday it's just i think it's absolutely obscene how like they with twitter it was twitter so twitter was used to plan most of the protests right and in months after that the government banned twitter in the country Twitter was it's giving China it is it was banned for almost a year (laughs) it was banned for almost a year like you had to use a VPN to be on Twitter just to make sure that we did not rally again and fight for our rights so with and I think it was because of international like because once the government did that it was everywhere you know it was on CNN you know and if not because of like the international pressure I think as well like Twitter would not be back. Right. You know, and only God knows the conditions that Twitter is back on now. But things I, are probably very like limited, right? Ex- exactly. I feel like it's it's I want I wonder what was going on there. But not even if things aren't limited, like people are scared to talk now. Exactly. Because, like it inflicted fear. Yeah, because someone would someone people that were tweeting avidly, some of them went missing. And some of them went missing for like ages, then would come back and be like, oh, I was arrested. Like they just came to my house and picked me up. And it's things like you don't want to be, you can't really do much from jail. And it's really sad having to like choose the battles you fight for the sake of your safety and also for the sake of the cause as well. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So we're going to switch things around and talk about people fighting back. Uh So May 1st of this year, uh, members of the LGBTQ community marched in a demonstration in Nigeria's capital, Abuja. That's (laughs) (laughs) So to protest a bill introduced by lawmakers in Nigeria's lower house of parliament in April of this year, seeking to ban cross-dressing. The new measure calls for a punishment of six months in jail or a fine about of about $1,200 for rural violators. Protesters took a huge risk doing this, putting their lives on the line for this cause. Do you believe that this made a difference in the eyes of lawmakers? I think it did not for the most part. I think it's something that needs to be more consistent. I think it definitely made a difference to queer Nigerians in inspiring us to keep fighting. But I feel like the government has a very inhuman look on its people. Like, I feel like the government tends to look mm. at us as pawns. Yeah. So, and especially with a people that is so, or that have been, you know, subjugated for such a long time and like validly so as far as the government, like as far as the culture is concerned, it's, a lot more difficult to, you know, it requires a lot more consistency. And that's consistency that people are not necessarily willing to do because conditions are not made easy. Like, you know, it's different if you're protesting and you have a home to go to where there's electricity and you can just, you know, kick your shoes off and like, ah, relax and, you know, close your eyes. You know, no, like people that are doing these things are like working how many jobs are doing, like they're running around that you go home, there's no electricity for you to like go home and like relax like and activism takes a lot of work especially mentally exactly exactly i think um they're definitely so what i would say is that it is inspirational you know and it does like pull people to 
protest in their own ways. I think that's also something that's very important because during like the protest, the anti-terrorist protest, there was, and the reason why we keep referencing is because like it's the biggest of its kind that we've seen in like recent yeah. years. Yeah. So like there were people that were online protesting and there were people that, so people that were getting things done in the background and there were people that were actually in person. So I feel like if we had that mobilized yeah. that kind of system mobilized you know it would be very helpful but like we said like it all it a comes in the numbers because lots of people so queer people in nigeria are closeted like a good i want to say like i don't want to be spacing out statistics but like it would like 90 percent more than yeah like even when i go back to nigeria i'm relatively closeted as well so Exactly. And I feel like even where Zam is from, it's very, it's even seen as the more open-minded place. I lived in Lagos for some context. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I live in Abuja and it's very uh, conservative, very, um, the kind of, like I said, the kind of religion that's practiced there is very restrictive. Like I've come across like a lot of, I've met a lot of, you know, queer Christians and queer Muslims. And that's something I meet more over here and in this country. But then back there, it's a lot harder to reconcile those two because the way that it's taught to you gives no space for like acceptance of who you are and Mm -hmm. no space of interpretation, you know, because it's culture and religion and it's, it's all it's all been used as a as a tool of control and power. Even with regards to like the protests and <laughs> the whole end source thing, it was it really was the biggest protest I've been alive for. Uh-huh. And it was my the first time I actually saw Nigerians being patriotic. I mean, like, yeah, I want to change our country and everything. And I really do believe that Nigeria would be open to like other ways of like life and everything. But I do not think so for this generation. I feel like when our generation or the younger one, the one like after us, like when they get into power, that's when they... Things will actually change. Yes, because these people have grown up in a place where it's like, okay, even though we tell you it's not okay, it's possible. Like, you know about it. At exactly. Least. And it's so, not that it's not okay. It's it's what it is. Uh-huh. Well, <laughs> well, right now it's not okay. <laughs> We're getting you. What do you think the reason is for African lawmakers being so caught up in the colonial state laws? I think um, when when people come and make you a country against your will, there's only so much you can do. Yeah, exactly. Like I feel like um, amalgamation, like Lord Lugar. Like I can like. I don't read that guy at all. I don't read him. I don't read him. He's essentially the guy that um, he's the general that amalgamated all of Nigeria. The the different ethnicities. So essentially, there were about two hundred and fifty different ethnicities but like over a thousands of languages that were like amalgamated into this one thing that is now known as nigeria so many of these like ethnicities and like um many of these tribes were like they worked together but they were independent of each other so the entire idea of like amalgamation now just kind of made it unbalanced if that makes sense so it forced everybody so it's a marriage of convenience for you know the colonials but a marriage of inconvenience for the people that are left to deal with the problem because many of these cultures do not like each other 
quite frankly. Wow. Like, you know, like, yeah. when it comes down to it, there's still so much tribalism, you know, like, oh, you're an evil person, you can't marry me, or you can't marry my daughter. <laughs> wow. And you know, you for real. You still hear things like that. It's so, oh, it's so, like, it's so normalized. It is very wow. extremely. So you think that, like, you know, being here and, like, where, like, the issue is more, like, racial, you know? Mm, yeah. But, like, when you go there, everybody look the same, but they be hating each other anyway, you know, like, so they're like, it's, 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 it gets really complex. So with situations like that, like, it's very hard for a country that has been like reworked, to, like something that was not even meant to be to like, that's all they know as okay. far as they're concerned. Like, look at how many years has it been since like 1885, like how many years has it been? We've been working in this makeshift, you know, situation. So like, it's colonial laws is really all that they know. Mm. And like, you know, we're still Commonwealth. We're still under the queen or king. I don't know who, but like, you know, we're still (laughs) under somebody, you know? And like, you know, at the end of the day, like so much of Nigeria has been like so many conflicts as well have been like, you know, like intervened by the British government as well. So for example, like uh, looking at like the civil war. Yeah. So, with the civil war, I feel like when the British brought us together, it was it was this amalgamation that was not and I don't think is sustainable. Mm-hmm. So they were also very strategic about it. The North had population and the North is where they like they were they were the more agreeable people in mm-hmm. that sense with them. North mm-hmm. uh Nigeria? Yes. Okay. Whereas the South, where a lot of the resources, like the oil, the oil and yeah. everything, but we're less people there. So when the South tried to segregate from the North, because at the end of the day, it was not a conducive situation. We had a civil war. And in the sense that it was such a painful thing. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even so long ago, like my grandmother's siblings were lost in the war. And we all have family that were injured or Mm -hmm. survived or can't even speak about it and with things like that it's not even taught in history yeah it's removed from the curriculum because and i just learned about it last year and it that's because when like as an Igbo person hearing yeah we wanted you to stay so we killed your people it's 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 a lot to hear and it can make you a bit unpatriotic unpatriotic for a bit as well and Personally, I didn't really know how I felt about Nigeria for like a good couple of months and everything. Mm-hmm. With that, even with the whole segregation, and we tried to leave, and that didn't go as planned, and that didn't work out. It's also mm-hmm. like we've tried, and we just a lot of people don't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. And the British really did sponsor a lot of the violence, exactly as well. So it's like. We reject queerness because it fights our, what we've been raised to think by these same people. So now at that point in time, it's now like, okay, let's not do what the, what the unquote white people are doing. Right. But when it comes to like doing other things, we want to be white in that way. We want to be Western. We want to. So it's like, it's a weird situation where like we want their validation, but like not on the right thing. So um, finally, what do you think are some actions that Canadian citizens or like the gov- the Canadian government could do to help protect um, LGBTQ rights and people in Africa? Um, well, I think 
something that we could do or something that um Canadian citizens and Canadian government can do, definitely like with the government putting pressure. Yeah, so international pressure. pressure, putting a spotlight, like we are there are so many heinous activities that are happening with regards like stopping, for example, the cross dressing bill that's trying to, you know, take lift from the ground, you know, putting pressure to make sure that doesn't see the light of day because that will be very destructive oh, yeah. for everybody, like for everyone. Um, With Canadian citizens, you know, donating at the end of the day, there's so many different NGOs that are trying to come together to work for queer rights in, you know, Nigeria. And like so many like influencers have come up to like speak about this. So, you know, finding like these charities, also sharing content, you know, like at the end of the day, like the internet is important and it is a very important tool. Like if you see something, don't just turn a blind eye and see it as those are their issues. No, it's everyone's it's issues. It's issues. the world's issues. Mm-hmm. Like at the end of the day, like Audrey Lord, you can't use the master's tool to break down his own house. We have to look at this all together as people of the world and people are dying. People are suffering. At the end of the day, like, especially if you are someone that benefits from or has benefited from, like, colonialism in some way, I feel like everyone should put together forces to, let's rectify the situation, you know, care, you know, care. So, yeah. Yeah, and not only just the Canadian government, but also Nigerians that live in the diaspora as well. So people that, like, us that were fortunate enough to be able to leave don't just leave, like leave and come back with a solution or leave and get resources to help. Because what's the point of me being comfortable when I know all my friends in Nigeria are suffering? Even little things like signing petitions, like it all starts somewhere. You might think it's not doing much, but if someone has seen, oh, this petition has, your first one had like 500 signatures, maybe another one has 12,000 and maybe like, an NGO will pick it up or maybe a government will promote it. And suddenly you have so many petitions. You have so many people that have signed this thing that the government is almost forced to do it because if they don't, it's like, yes, you can see that you're blatantly Mm -hmm. Give us attention. Exactly. And like, honestly, like reworking of, you know, our mindsets, you know, like reworking of this idea that it's a very common idea that queerness is not African. You know, um, right before I got here, I ran out of my career theory class <laughs> and I uh, was talking, uh, we were talking about um, something, I had mentioned something similar to this, uh, about how like queer theory, like, but it's Western queer theory. You know, how do we not know that queer theory is not being discussed in other contexts? Like what makes this queer theory the universal queer theory? Like other queer people exist in other places. So this entire idea that queerness is something that's Western, no. Queer people are in Nigeria. Queer people are in Iran. Queer people are in Dubai. Queer people are in places that queerness is not allowed. And a lot know? of them actually. Exactly, bro. And it's like, it's crazy because at the end of the day, like the only thing that really separates people like queerness, right? Or like the acceptability of queerness is capitalism. Okay. Like quite literally, like the more money you have in Nigeria, nobody cares if you're gay, if you have money, you know? Like you still have to like, obviously like fall in line to some things, but yeah. like it's less of a thing. Like I, there's a very popular politician and you know like his boyfriend lives on my street and I know this information (laughs) the neighborhood knows this information and it's cool 
But why? Because he can afford it being cool. Exactly. So it's like all these things, they kind of intertwine, like, you know, capitalism, patriarchy, homophobia, like elitism. the all elitism, like it all intertwines. Like when you have, when you can be substantial, like when you have enough money, like it doesn't matter anymore. So I feel like also like looking at, taking a look at like being very intersectional about your approach towards it, I think would be very beneficial. I also want to like leave it on like a you know a positive note yes, um, yes, with please. how queer people are fighting back. You know, a lot of queer people have been fighting back through art. Lots of queer people have been fighting back through music. Like yeah. there's this entire like alt movement that's yeah. kind of going on in Lagos, and it's like essentially like a bunch of like Nigerians. It's kind of like giving like a kind of hipster, super kind boy. Of, yeah, it's <laughs> like kind of a um, hipster kind of like yeah. emo, but it's it's a vibe. I will say, um, you know, they're making more music about queerness. You know, like yeah. more music that like you know like refers to like oh yeah like a man and a man. You or know, kissed, you know systems and even just anti-systems like anti like elitism and because classism is something that's really rampant in Nigeria Uh but it's like these guys aren't necessarily talking about like oh I have all this money I have all of this like my estate like my house has constant light Uh but it's more like it's just talking like how the average Nigerian or Uh how the average queer Nigerian would speak and I don't know I relate a lot with that movement and it makes me feel very at home because uh-huh. not only are these queer people but these are queer people that look like me as well exactly that definitely does really help something i would also very much plug if you want to like learn more into like the lives of queer people in nigeria and what that is like in a very honest unadulterated way I would 100% recommend the book of Vagabonds by, it's like one of my favorite books right now. They're so over me. But um, Vagabonds by Elogosa Osunde shows you like all the aspects, the beautiful, the ugly, the underground, you know, the overground, you know, Mm -hmm. it shows such a dynamic perspective, the rich, the poor, all of these like little short stories that all like are centered around like being queer in Nigeria and what that can look like and the different ways that can look like. I think it's it's fiction, but like it also has like lens of like reality that, you know, you can. Um, it's a story you can hear in real life. Exactly. I feel like most like fiction stories are like kind of like um inspired by real events exactly exactly like it's it's like what i meant to say was fantasy okay but like that makes it like (laughs) yeah but um it's it's very interesting and i think um honestly 100 percent a good read and i would recommend it for anyone that's you know wants to find out more you know wants the tea like you know and also like wants to find out how they can help so yeah I wanted to know if you could um, just like suggest uh, some NGOs, like mm-hmm. trusted ones. I think there is the Oasis Project okay. that is um, headed by Matthew Blaze. And they're like a very like uh, prominent queer activist yeah. in like Nigeria. Like I think they're based they're in Lagos. Big, yeah, they're a big name in the Queer Lives Matter. Process. Exactly, exactly. So like... Their focus is like on LGBTQ identities from a different like range. I know that they help take people in and, you know, I know they help um, with like, you know, shelters and things like that. So that is one trusted one I would give, but I would also like send you more. Okay, perfect. As well. And uh, yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Thank you. 
This was Beyond the Rainbow on CHUO 89.1 FM, a safe space where conversations around various LGBTQ topics are held to unpack and learn more from the community. Thank you for listening and catch us right here on Wednesdays from 12 to 1 p.m. If you missed our show, please tune in on Spotify. That was it, folks. Have a great rest of your week and see you soon.